0: Your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter four. After that song service, Wayne's scripture reading and prayer. I don't think it's um, emotion. I I feel special uh, spirit of worship. I pray this uh, this whole service will continue that powerfully that the spirit will. Will bless it. Uh, as much of a burden there is at preaching the, the word, it makes me excited for this service. I pray the Lord continue to bless us. My text this morning is just one verse, unusual for me, but just one verse, verse four, of Philippians chapter four. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Now the theme of the epistle to the Philippians is rejoice in the Lord. Ten times in this short epistle, Paul says rejoice. Hence my title, rejoice in the Lord. The Lord here tells all of his people to rejoice in him at all times. He says always. And you notice Paul stresses that He says rejoice in the Lord. And again I say unto you, rejoice. And no matter what it is that we're going through in this flesh, The believer always has a reason to rejoice in the Lord. And Paul is a mighty good example of that as he writes here. Where was Paul when he was writing this epistle? He was in prison. 24-7 he was chained. I don't know if it was his arms or his legs or whatever. He was chained to a a Roman soldier. And he was in prison, not because he did anything wrong. He was in prison for preaching the gospel. And while he was there in prison, his so-called friends, they turned on him. They were lying about him. They were slandering him. I mean, you think how much that hurt. And what does Paul tell us? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. A pretty good example to us, isn't it? Now, man-made religion makes it sound like now, if you'll just make this decision, accept Jesus as your personal Savior, and if you'll just let him into your life, if you'll just let him be the king of your life, why, Lord, he'll, he'll bless you so much. You, you'll always be happy. You'll always have, have plenty of money. You'll not have health troubles or, or troubles in, in this world. You just, you just won't have a reason to worry. They make it sound like, well, you just accept Jesus, and boy, life will just be smooth sailing from there on out. You'll just always be happy. Well, tell you what that is that's rejoicing in the blessings. Of the Lord. It's not rejoicing in the Lord. I'm a whole lot more. In- interested. In the blessor Than the blessings. Aren't you. There's a difference there. The believer who's been saved. By God's grace. We rejoice in the Lord. We don't rejoice in our circumstances. Because quite often. There's not reason to rejoice in our circumstances. We rejoice. In the Lord. Now by don't no means does that mean I'm not thankful for God's blessings. I don't want him him to bless me. God's people are thankful. Oh, if God blesses us with, with comfort with with some peace of heart with the, He blesses you with you know with a, a job and enough money to pay your bills and this you know oh, we're happy your children are healthy and do you those are blessings. I'm thankful for them. I thank God for them. but when those things are not true, the believer can still. And does still rejoice in the Lord. If you don't know it already. If you're one of God's children. He's going to teach you this. You can be in great pain. You can be in great darkness. Darkness of mind. Darkness of, of spirit. Just in the, in the darkness of trial. You can be under a hard. Hard uncertainty of a, of a trial. And you can still. Rejoice in the Lord. Because and here's why. The source and the foundation of our rejoicing is not the world. It's not the comforts of this flesh. It's the condition of this flesh. The Lord is the source and the foundation of our rejoicing. So we rejoice in the Lord. Always, in every situation. Now like all of scripture, this statement of the Apostle Paul, "Rejoice in the Lord always, is not a suggestion. is not optional equipment for the believer. It's a commandment. It's a commandment from our God to rejoice in Him. And you think what a kind and loving King and Master that we have. His commandments are not grievous, are they? The commandment of our God is to rejoice in Him and that's exactly what the new man wants to do. God commands us to do what our joy already is. He gives us a a heart, a nature that, that wants to rejoice in Him and our duty to rejoice in God, that's our delight. That's what we already want to do anyway. That's our king. What a king we have. God gives His people faith in Christ. To trust Christ, not ourselves and that produces joy in the heart. It just comes naturally to the believer To have joy in Christ. It's the fruit of the Spirit. In the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, patience, and so forth. The fruit of the Spirit that God puts in his people is joy. And now he tells us, rejoice in the Lord. I put that joy in you, now you rejoice in the Lord. Look back at Philippians chapter 3. We read this to open the service. If God's given you a new heart, you do rejoice in it. You can't help it. In verse 3, he says, for we are the, the circumcision. And that doesn't mean the circumcision of the flesh. It means the circumcision of the heart. When God gives you a new heart. If you've got a new heart, here's how you can tell that people have a new heart. They worship God in the spirit. They rejoice in Christ Jesus. And they have no confidence in the flesh. So rejoicing in the Lord comes naturally, doesn't it, to the new man. And that's what God tells us to do. Rejoice in the Lord. All right, here's my question. What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? What does that mean? Do I have to go around with a silly smile on my face all the time and, you know, no matter what, I'm rejoicing in the Lord? Well, I hope not, because sometimes I don't feel like smiling. I mean, there have been times I couldn't smile. I mean, my word. Does that mean I don't know the Lord if I'm just not smiling all the time? No, absolutely not. There are times we weep, don't we? There are times weep but we're to rejoice in the Lord no matter how our flesh feels let me give you some specifics in rejoicing in the Lord that I pray will be helpful to you number one when we rejoice rejoice in the person of our Lord you're know, citizens of a country especially uh, well, all countries we want to have some reason to respect our leaders you know a lot of times that may direct how you vote you know I, I, I want the, the president to be somebody I can respect, you know. We like their character, the character of our president, and our leaders. We, we, I'd like for them to be admirable men and women, wouldn't you? Well, sadly, that's seldom the case. But believers are citizens of God's kingdom, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And those citizens, we're proud of our king. Oh, he's respectable. He's admirable. You think who he is. He's earned our respect. Our king is the king of kings. All puppet kings rule by his authority because he allows them to do it because he put them there for his purpose. He's king over all kings. He's the authority over all authorities. He's sovereign over everything and everyone in God's creation. And since he's sovereign... He always, always does his will. His will is never thwarted. His will is never slowed down. He always does his will. Nobody can question him. Yet his will is always what's good and best and right. Now you just try to think of the majesty of our God, the king of kings, dwelling in a light to which no man can approach. I mean, we can't begin to imagine the glory of our God. Yet our king. Does not stay separate. From his people. I challenge you. Try to get an audience with the president. Of the United States. It's not happening. Our king does not stay separate from his people. In order to be with his people. He became flesh. Deity. Took on him humanity. Humanity. So he could be bone of his people's bone. So he could be related to them. So he could be with them. The Lord Jesus Christ remained fully God. He's always fully God. And at the same time, he became fully man. So that he could be the representative of his people. So that he, the God man, could save his people from their sin. He came where we are in order to save us. He he didn't stay in the ivory tower and and give orders and, and... You know, send some flunkies down here to do the job. He came where we are in order to pluck us from the muck and the mire of the the bottom of the dung heap and set us among princes to save our souls. Our king loved his people so much, he tabernacled among them so that he could offer the sacrifice that would put away the sin of his people. He became flesh, he became a, a, a human being so that he could take on the sin. Of his people. So that he could be made sin for his people. And so that he could suffer and die. And put their sin away. Now that is so glorious. The fact that he could do that. The fact that he would do that. Nobody else could. Nobody else would. But he did. So we rejoice in him. See that in him. His person. He is so glorious. If he died for us. He's so sufficient, he's so glorious, he's so wonderful. If he died for us, we can never perish. And we must be saved. Oh, rejoice in the Lord, in His person. Second, this is closely related to the first point, rejoice in the character of our Lord. The character of our Lord is perfect. He's perfect in all of His attributes, in his mercy, in His grace, in his love, in his holiness, in his justice. He's perfect. And he never violates one of his attributes to glorify or magnify the other. Whatever he does is perfect in all of his attributes at the same time. Specifically speaking, he's perfect in both his mercy and his justice at the same time. He's perfect when he shows mercy because when he shows mercy, he's true. He's true to do it. He's true to to his character. And he always is just. Always. God is always just. He always does what is right. He always gives the, the true and just verdict. He never overlooks sin. But he's also the one who forgives sin. Our Lord is just. But he's also the justifier. Tell you what that means. The Lord Jesus Christ justified his people in justice. Christ justified his people by paying the just penalty of their sins for them. He took their sin away from them and he bore justice for it. They're justified because Christ satisfied justice for them. God is merciful to his people, he does not give them what they deserve. You know why? Because he gave Christ what they deserve. Mercy and justice, they're both magnified in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the whole character of the Lord is immutable. And immutable is just a great big religious term that means this, God can't change. And why would he? He's already perfect. (laughs) He can't change. So if God loves you, he's always loved you. He'll never not love you. (laughs) He'll never cast you out. Our Savior's character is perfect. And that is the thing that makes the salvation of his people sure. And I can rejoice in it. I rejoice that we're saved by Christ's faithfulness, not ours. I rejoice that we're saved by his holiness, not ours. That we're saved by his eternal, immeasurable love for his people, not our lukewarm, fickle love for him. He saved us. I rejoice that Christ personally, in his person, is all of my salvation. He is my righteousness. He is my wisdom. He is my redemption. He is my sanctification. He's made unto us all of our salvation, him personally. And since he's perfect and can't change, that makes the salvation of his people sure. Oh, I rejoice in him. Number three, if we would rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the salvation of the Lord. Didn't Jonah teach us this? Salvations of the Lord. When we say salvation is of the Lord, that's a, that's a term that you hear me and the preachers that preach here and grace preachers that preach other places. We say this often, salvation is of the Lord. Now, what that means is this, that salvation is all of the Lord's purpose. If we're going to be saved, God had to purpose it before the foundation of the world. It's all of his performance. If we're going to be saved, he's got to perform it. He's got to satisfy justice for us. He's got to make it so our sin is put away. He had to do that. It's of his performance. And it's of his perfection. He's got to apply it to our hearts, and he's the one that's got to keep us to the end. Salvation is all of the Lord, of his purpose, of his performance, and of his perfection. Salvation is the result of God's covenant of mercy. God covenant. He had a, entered into a covenant with his son where the father promised he would save a people. He chose a people to save, gave them to his son, and he promised his son, I'll save those people. When you redeem them by your obedience, and your sacrifice for them. And that salvation, now that's when it was purposed. Here's when it was purchased. When the Son of God offered himself as the bloody, bloody sacrifice for the sin of his people. The Son of God came in the flesh and offered himself, who he is. He offered his person as the sacrifice for the sin of his people. That's why the Father accepted it. Scripture says it must be perfect to be accepted. Who else is perfect but Him? His obedience is perfect. His holiness is perfect. His blood is perfect. His sacrifice is perfect. Then it saved everyone He intended to save. And that salvation is applied by the power of God the Holy Spirit He moves when He will and where He will. When the Gospel is being preached. It's like the wind. He just blows through. You don't know where it came from and where it's going. He moves where and when He will. And when He comes through, you know what He does? He gives life and faith to God's people. He puts it in their heart causing them to be born again. See, that's all the doing of God. From its purpose to its purchase To its application. God's people are saved by grace. By grace through faith. Not of our works. I hope we get this. Salvation is not by our merit. Quit trying to earn God's favor. Quit trying to make yourself good enough so that God will save you. Quit trying to be good enough so God will be merciful to you. Salvation is not by our merit. It's by the merit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And since his merit is perfect, the salvation God gives his people is perfect. It can't be improved upon. (laughs) Now don't you rejoice in that salvation? And you know why we rejoice in that salvation? Because of our Savior. Because he's perfect. Then here's the fourth thing. If you would rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord of peace. Now, everybody, everywhere wants peace. Don't you want peace in your life? When our children were were growing up, this is one thing I thought Janet was so wise in. She said, Our house is going to be a house of peace. We're not having fussing and fighting. She just wouldn't allow it. If the girl started fussing, what she did, she made it go nose to nose until they quit it. There's going to be peace. We want peace. Don't, I mean, everybody, don't you want to let a peaceful home be? Oh. There's a whole drug industry given over to this thing to make people feel peaceful in there. I mean, people just want peace. But now when the scriptures talk about peace, it's talking about a spiritual peace, a peace with God. When scripture talks about peace, it cannot mean that we'll have peace from trouble and trial and heartache in this world. It can't mean that. Because here's what our Savior promised us about this world. In this world, he said, you shall have tribulation. So it can't mean peace from, from trouble and trial and heartaches of this world. It can't mean that. So I tell you what to do if you want peace. i thought about this a lot this week. If you want peace, here's what you do. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, and that will give you the peace of Christ. Christ our Savior, made it so that his people have peace with God. He purchased it with His blood by His blood. we have peace with God. God's not angry with His people anymore because the blood of Christ took that which offended God away. It paid for it, it washed it white as snow. There's no reason for God to be angry with his people anymore. The blood of Christ puts sin away. I said this in the lesson, but it's it's worth repeating again. When the blood of Christ is applied to our hearts, what that means, is it doesn't mean God sprinkles the blood of Christ on our old stony heart. That old stony heart suddenly becomes a heart of flesh. No, what it means is this. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's not going to change. When the blood is applied to our hearts, what it means is God gives us a new heart. And that new heart does what the old heart can never do. It believes. It believes God. It loves God. It loves the gospel of Christ. Oh, tell me again of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. What he's done. Why he did it. Tell me where he is now. Tell me about his glory. Tell me about his perfection. Tell me about him. Don't talk to me about me. <laughs> talk to me about him. Oh, I love to hear about him. That's a new heart. That new heart trusts Christ. Amen. That heart is not mad at God anymore. That heart willingly stacks our shotgun, lays it down, and there's peace. God's not angry anymore, and thank God I'm not either. So let me give you some advice here about peace. I hope this will make sense to you. Don't only pray for peace. I know you want peace. Don't just pray for peace in the sense that I just, Lord, make me feel peaceful. Don't, don't just pray for that. Because remember, the, the peace that Scripture talks about is not the Lord removing our troubles and tribulations and heartaches in this world. It, it doesn't mean the Lord's going to remove our difficulties so that we feel peaceful. The peace that the Lord talks about, the peace that He gives His people is much, much, much greater and much better, much more precious than the Lord removing the difficulty so I feel peaceful. The peace that the Lord gives His people is peace in the heart even though the storm rages around me. The storm hadn't quit. The night hadn't broken. The sun hadn't risen yet. The storm is still, the waves are still high. The wind is still blowing. But God gives peace in the heart. Because I'm trusting Christ. Does that make sense? I'm not going to ask you, John, because you and me are still on the same page. Sean, does that make sense? That it's so much more precious to have that peace in the heart even though the storm still raging. That's such a miracle. I'm t- it makes my hair stand on end. What a blessing. God. Oh, I can rejoice in that. If I can have peace in my heart even though my heart is still broken, my body is still in pain and I am this great uncertainty. You know, part of the meaning of trials in, in, in Scripture means a confined place, like I'm getting squished. Even if I'm still in that confined space, I don't know which way is up. I don't know which way is out. If in that situation, I can have peace in the heart, what a miracle. I can rejoice in that, can't you? I, I, I rejoice when the Lord removes the difficulty too. But it's a greater miracle if the Lord gives peace in the heart even in that confined space. We used to go to this place. I think it was called Rock City. I was just a little fella. I don't know if you ever even be. We quit going maybe before John was born. But we went there and had this thing. It was called Fat Man Squeeze. And Dad would always be proud of himself that he'd get through that. And I think we quit going when he quit getting through that. You know, if I can be stuck, And that fat man squeeze. And Lord, give me peace. Oh, I rejoice. I rejoice in that. So you see what I'm saying? Don't just seek peace. Seek Christ. Seek to rejoice in Him. And Lord enable enable you to do it. You'll have peace. I promise you it's peace that passes all understanding. And you'll rejoice in it. in the the Lord to give such peace and that brings me to the fifth thing rejoice in the providence of the Lord now since God's sovereign we know that we believe that we love that what that means is that every event that's ever happened in, in human time big events and little events big events and events nobody ever noticed all happened because God willed it to happen Everything. Everything. If God didn't will it to happen, it couldn't happen, could it? I know that. Nothing can happen against God's will. Now let's apply that to me and you. Since God is sovereign over every event in providence, then whatever it is that happens to me is God's providence. Specifically for me. Specifically. You know, We used to say all the time something happened. We said, well, that's providential, isn't it? We say that because we kind of thought we could see where God's going with this, what God's going to bring out of that. But you know, um, after, after Sunday school lesson, I walked out to the back and walked back. The fact that I made it back here, nobody thought a thing about that. That's providence too. That was providential. It really was. I'm not making fun. That was really providential. Everything that happens to me, everything that comes my way, is God's providence for me then Wayne, I ought to be able to rejoice in it. I wish I could do it better. And I sure don't want to complain about it. If you look back at Job chapter 2, I don't know if any human being other than our Lord Jesus Christ ever suffered more than Job did. And I want you to look at what Job said here. And I want to take this to myself. Job chapter 2, verse 9. This is after Job... He lost everything but his wife and his life. In verse 9, Job 2. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. If I'm going to receive good from the providence of God and rejoice in it, I ought to be thankful that the other things God does that he brings to my way by his providence. And I'll give you an example that can apply to every believer here, everybody here who believes God can see this in their lives. You know it was God's providence that brought you to hear the gospel and believe on Christ, don't you? I mean, you think about all the things that went into... You being where you were the first time you heard the gospel and being where you were the first time you heard the gospel and really believed Christ. You think about everything that went into that. I mean, your ancestors had to do everything that they do. They had to live where they live. They had to move where they moved. They had to be where they were. So you'd be born where you were. And everything that happened to you had to take you hither, there and yonder to bring you to the place God crossed your path with the gospel. Every one of those events, God worked together to bring you to hear the gospel. And he gave you faith. To believe on Christ. Aren't you thankful? God did that for you. He worked his providence. To bring you to hear the gospel. And believe it. And your whole life long. You you didn't really see it before you knew the Lord. But now that you know. You see. Oh his providence. He's provided for me every step of the way. Here I thought I was earning my way through the world. It was him. The Lord's provided for me all my days. Just how... He's led me and guided me every step of the way. He's not been, he's not separated himself from me, not for one step. Now, aren't you thankful? I know you are. You know that's true, don't you? That's God's providence. Well, all right now. It's God's providence that also brings me trials and pain and suffering so that it'll increase my faith in Him. Now, am I going to thank God for His providence that brought me to Christ and not thank Him for His providence that makes me trust Christ more? Am I going to thank God for His providence that brought me good good things? Pleasant things? Am I going to question God for when He brings me unpleasant things? I hope not. You know, trials... That's not God punishing us. It's not because God's angry with us. There's no fury left in me, he said, because he took it all out on our Redeemer, on our substitute. That's not because God's angry with us. You know why God sends us trials? Because he loves us. I've told you before, when I was a little boy, I'm quite confident that this is a true statement. At least six days out of seven, I got spanking. Some days more than one a day. And boy, when my dad spanked me—I mean, stronger—and uh, I mean, I oh, my dad was my hero. And he—I mean, when he spanked me, I mean, it hurt my hind in, and it hurt me emotionally too. I thank God for every one of them now. Because it taught me. It taught me. Behave like he got some sins. Behave like you got some act right. Don't you? It, you know, it taught me that. It, look at Hebrews chapter 12. Our Heavenly Father does the same thing. Ought I not be thankful? Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now if you endure chastening, God's dealing with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof of all, all of God's children are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence, Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now, we talk about rejoicing in the Lord. Don't don't, uh, feel bad about yourself when you can't rejoice in the pain. When you can't rejoice in the suffering. When you can't rejoice in the heartache. We're not rejoicing in the heartache, are we? We're rejoicing in what it produces. The fruit that it produces that it makes me trust Christ more. I rejoice in that. All right, number six. Rejoice in the presence of the Lord. Now I told you earlier how the Lord, he's always with his people. Always. Right before he ascended back to the Father, what did he tell his disciples? Lo, I'm with you always. And that wasn't just said to those, those well there I was 11, that said to all of God's people. Now you listen to me, especially those of you who are, are under heartache and trial and trouble right now. You remember this. The Lord's not put you someplace that he's not. He's with you. He hadn't left you alone in the dark. He hadn't left you alone in, in, in the stormy seas. You may not see him, but he sees you. Remember that night the disciples were rowing and toiling and they, they thought the ship was going to go down there in the middle of, the, of that sea and the storm was so great and the Lord was on the low, on the mountain alone praying. And scripture says he saw them. They couldn't see him. He saw them. And he came to them. He came to them. Look at Isaiah chapter 41. The Lord is always with his people. And the way is always too hard for us. You know, I mean, sometimes we think the way is not too hard for me. I can do this on my own. And Lord puts us in a trial to realize, oh, the way is too hard for me. But it's not too hard for him. Isaiah 41 verse 10. Fear thou not. Now why, you know, why, why do you not fear? Do you not fear because there's no storm? Do you not fear because there's no darkness? Do you not fear because there's no trouble? No. Fear not, for I'm with thee. I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee yea, I will help thee. yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. <laughs> I can rejoice in that it's His presence with me it means he'll, he'll carry me through. You know I talked earlier about salvation. We rejoice in the, in the salvation of Christ our Savior. We well, you know what Scripture says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the presence of Christ in your heart. Is the evidence of your salvation. He's, he's in you. He's, he lives in your heart. We talked about peace. You know when we have peace? When we're in the presence of Christ the Savior. Chris, if I'm in mean his presence, I got nothing to worry about. There's peace in there. I don't care what circumstance my flesh is in. If I'm in his presence, there's peace. Rejoice. Rejoice right this very second. God's enabling us to worship him now. And his presence is with us right this very second. Two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. If you're worshiping, if this gospel is blessing your heart, you know why it is? His presence. He's with us. <laughs> what a blessing! God's enabled us to worship him. Rejoice! <laughs> right, here's the last thing. Rejoice in the promises of the Lord. There's far too many of these scriptures. I'm just going to read them to you. You can jot them down, look at them if you want later. But remember the character. Before we read these promises of the Lord, you remember the character of our God. He cannot lie. So all these promises, he's going to fulfill them. Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Then you shall call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I'll hearken unto you. God says, my thoughts towards you, they're thoughts of peace to bring you to an expected end. Being glorified together with Him. You hang on to that promise. That's how this thing's going to end up. Hebrews 8, verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. Will I remember no more? When our sins trouble us, and they should trouble us. I'm not making an excuse for sin, but this is our comfort. God said, I'll remember them no more. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor, and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Now, why haven't you come? He said, come. He'll give you rest. That's his promise. Romans 8.28. And we know that all things. What does that include? Does that, that include just things that I like, things that I want, things that I desire, things that I wish for, these blessings of God I want? Includes more than that. All things. All things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. I might not be able to point out and tell you what the good is that God has in this trial for you, but I can tell you this, He's going to bring good out of it. He promised He would. Isaiah 43, verse 2. When thou passest through the waters, I'll be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. This thing's not going to harm you. It's going to hurt, but it ain't going to harm you. It's not going to harm you. Philippians 4, 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to the riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, he may not supply everything I want. Matter of fact I'm pretty sure he won't. Because it's been my experience. But he will supply everything you need. What's that? Christ. He's everything I need. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. This is a good one to hang on to. In that darkness of trial. And you think. I can't go one second longer. My grace. My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. God's grace will be sufficient. Pray for his grace. Pray for grace sufficient. He'll grant it. that because he promised he would. Philippians 4 verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You might think you're slipping away, but you're not. He's going to keep you. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Now what should we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? What do we say to all those promises of God? Let me rejoice in the Lord. I hope God will make it so. Let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank you for these precious promises of your word. Lord, I pray that you cause us, each one of us here this morning, to lay hold upon the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to be found at his feet, laying hold upon him, begging him for mercy, and cause us to be found in him. Father, all these precious promises to your people, I pray you'd apply them to our hearts this morning, and this week, and the things that we face this week and things that are upcoming Father, keep these precious promises, keep these blessed portions of your word in our hearts and in our mind that we might find ourselves always rejoicing in the Lord. For in his blessed name we pray and give thanks.